If you'd please turn your Bibles to Joshua 24. Joshua 24. I want to thank everybody here for their support, allowing me to be able to come into this pulpit and proclaim the Word of God, just as so many mighty men of the past have done. I count a privilege and an honor and a thanksworthy experience to give to God. And I'm going to be completely transparent with you guys about this. When preparing for this message, I had so much opposition preparing this message, like I've never had before. And it wasn't physical, it was spiritual, mental opposition. And the day, in fact, it was yesterday when I traced back the steps and realizing how long, how far back the devil was trying to keep me from preaching this message to you guys tonight. And whatever comes out, I'm going to give all the glory to God, because this is his message. And this is my battle cry. This is something that God's laid on my heart that, honestly, I've never felt so much passion about what I'm going to talk about tonight. Some of you guys who are at men's prayer breakfast heard about it. I'm not going to go as detailed as I did about some of the stuff during prayer breakfast, but tonight the title of my message is Something Worth Fighting For. Something Worth Fighting For. And the truth that I want everybody to know tonight is to see the next generation move in the right direction we must move in ours. To see a generation, the next generation move forward, we must move in our generation. Before I start, I'd like to pray. If you guys would pray with me. Our God and our Father, I thank you so much once again just for this opportunity to be able to come into this pulpit. And Lord, I ask that your hand would be upon me. You know, it's how much toil and how much struggle I've come to to be able to stand in this pulpit to proclaim this message, Lord. And God, I ask what whatever you have to go through me tonight that would be edifying, it would be glorifying that we can walk out of here today. Just as we sang, revive us again, God, as you showed me in this, revive us. Jesus' holy name, I pray and ask these things. Amen. To open the message up, I want to start with this. How many of you guys, I don't know how many of you folks listen to podcasts, but there's a podcast called The Art of Manliness. How many of you guys ever heard of that podcast, The Art of Manliness? Kenny, what a man. (laughs) Within the podcast, there was a recent one that came about called The Power That Corrupts. And the host of the podcast brought Brian Claus. Class, Claus, he's got a weird name, I can never pronounce it. But he authored a book called How Power Corrupts. And he hit from multiple different angles. This man's traveled the entire world Traveling, going to prisons, and actually going into countries that have active warlords and active dictators. And interviewed them and asked them, how did you get to this point? How did you gain power? How did you fall? What happened? How did you get here? And he dwindled it down to two different things. Over-encompassing. You must have a corrupt leader or a corruptible leader. And corrupt followers. And within it, there are always two sides to any power that ever comes about. Because to put somebody in power, you have to have somebody that wants you in power. We look back in history and look at Adolf Hitler, how the man rose to power. He just didn't do it on his own. Somebody helped him on his way. We can look at that in the good ways. We look at the Revolutionary War. We see the great men that went through, men who stood for freedom, who wanted this country to be free 
from any oppression that we can worship our God in the way we want to worship our God. He had to have followers. We think of, think of Abraham, not Abraham Lincoln, what am I thinking? Get my history messed up. George Washington, he had to have people following him for him to come into power. But just as that, there has to be somebody willing to put you in power because most times when somebody steps into power, it's not their idea. There is somebody pushing them behind them that's there saying, we can't, we don't have the power, we don't have the charisma, we don't have the authority, but that person right there does. They can capture a crowd with just a wave of their hand. With one word, they can silence a multitude. If we can capture their heart, we can, we can complete our agenda. And just like that, you see through every warlord that's ever come about, there were corrupt followers that helped put them in power. And those followers corrupted more followers, which created more followers to follow a leader that thinks he's in control, but he's not. What does all this mean? Why did, I, why did I open up with this? Because for the next generation, every Christian is called to be a leader in their generation. God has called us to be a salt and a light in our world. But we have to be following someone. Or we have to be helping somebody get into power. For every Paul there was somebody behind him. Ananias helped Paul get to the point where he was. Timothy had a Paul. Titus had a Paul. Pastor Luther had somebody to help push him along to get him where he's sitting now. Brother Kenny had somebody to push him along. Brother Long had somebody to push him along. Brother Danny had somebody that pushed him along that kept him in the church. That kept him wanting, I gotta serve God. I wanna serve God. There's nothing else that I can do but serve God. But, as history shows, there's always the lost generation. If you read the Bible, there's a cycle, especially when you get into the judges. There's a period that they served God, and then somehow they lost God. Then somebody rose up, a leader rose up and said, we're going to serve God. And as long as that leader was alive, they served God. But as soon as that leader died and everybody else who followed that leader died, they turned right around and started serving sin. They started serving their gods. They got under oppression. But how does this start? Well, in my studies, one thing I want to say, and we need to be very vigilant and careful of this, one generation is anywhere from 30 to 40 years. And I hate to say it, but I think we're about to go into a judges period here soon. But that can be prevented if a group of people decide, I'm going to be a Joshua and turn this judges generation to become a Joshua. Because we, to turn a generation to God, our generation has to turn to God. And there's four points I'm going to cover tonight. Thankfully, I was given a decent amount of time to be able to do this in, so hopefully I'll be able to get all, through four, all four points before Kenny in his suit coat walk out like he told me before. <clears throat> but somebody what I want to talk about first, we need to talk about Joshua. Because if there's anybody in the Bible who never, he had two people that supported him throughout his entire life. All of his friends died over a period of 40 years except for Caleb. 
If there's somebody we can look at in a life that made a decision that would alter their life and say, I'm going to serve God, it's going to be Joshua. And this is what I want to talk about. I had you turn to Joshua 24. Joshua 24, in the first few verses, he's dividing the land. He's telling them this is what's going to happen. We're going to divide the land, and now you guys are going to be in charge of carrying out the rest of it. We defeated the major cities. It took us seven years to take these cities out. Now it's up to you to travel and do it yourself. But Joshua had something he wanted to tell the people about this, that it was his personal decision, and it was a challenge to an entire nation. Start in verse 14. Now then, now therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in truth. And put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side, the flood and in Egypt, and serve ye the Lord. And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom ye will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the flood, or the gods of the Amorites, in whose land ye dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And the people answered and said, God forbid that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For the Lord our God, he is, the, he is that brought us up and our fathers out of the land of Egypt. From the house of bondage and which did those great signs. Mark that. Which did those great signs in our sight and preserved us in all the way wherein we went and among all the people through whom we passed. And the Lord drove, drave out from before us all the people, even the Amorites which dwelled in the land. Therefore we will also serve the Lord, for he is our God. And Joshua said unto the people, Ye cannot serve the Lord, for he is a holy God. He is a jealous God, and he will not forgive your transgressions nor your sins. If ye forsake the Lord and serve strange gods, he will turn and do you hurt and consume you. After that, he hath done you good. And the people said unto Joshua, Nay, but we will serve the Lord. And Joshua said unto the people, Ye are witnesses against yourselves that ye have chosen you, the Lord, to serve him. And they said, we are witnesses. Now therefore, put away, said he, the strange gods which are among you, and incline your hearts unto the Lord God of Israel. Joshua just didn't say this lightly. Let me talk about his history a little bit, what led him to this point. He was one of the few men that actually wanted to serve God. He was Moses' right-hand man. He was his minister. He followed Moses everywhere. When Moses was finished speaking with God in the temple, Joshua would stay in the temple and desire to hear more of God. He wanted to seek God. He kept pushing forward to find God. Fast forward even more, when they go into the promised land, him and Caleb were the only ones that gave a good report. 
They were the only ones that said, we can do this. Can, do we not serve a God that got us out of the land of Egypt? The God who slew the entire army of Egypt. If you look at history, Egypt was no longer a world power then because the entire army was wiped out with the chariots. You don't hear much about Egypt after that except for either Israel and time of rebellion running off asking for help or getting owned by other nations. That's what you hear about Egypt throughout the rest of the Bible. But he and Caleb were the only ones out of 40 years of wandering that were able to walk into the promised land. Because they remembered something. They remembered something that kept them alive inside. That kept them realizing God is a real God. Because what he did 40 years plus ago to get us out of the land of Egypt. For he's a holy and jealous God. Remember when I said who did those great signs? He fought because he saw something that nobody else saw. Because he chose to see God. He decided he wanted to make God real in his life. That's why Joshua was a chosen leader. That's why God told Moses clear back in Deuteronomy to encourage him. And then in front of over two million people before Moses died and they passed into the land, the promised land, he encouraged Joshua in front of two million people. And then you go on to Joshua chapter 1. Just imagine this. Your best friend is the only one that's there. You have this whole new generation that you have absolutely no clue what they're going to do. And you're just sitting there, God, how am I going to do this? How am I going to lead this people? We were just out here for 40 years, and all the gripers and complainers finally kicked the bucket. But now there's these new guys. How are we going to be able to lead these guys around? And the first time in Joshua's life, he heard the very voice of God personally talking to him. I don't know about you guys, but I would have fainted when I heard, as I was with Moses, I am with you. Within the book of Joshua, I don't have it written down in this one, but if I remember correctly, the word courage or encourage is used six times. And it's always referring to either encouraging or discouraging somebody. The first four occurrences, well, actually, let's see, I marked it in mind. Yeah, the first four occurrences were for specifically for Joshua in chapter one. God encouraged Joshua three times. Then he stood up, and he, in his encouragement for the people, he stood before the people. He encouraged them because of how he was encouraged by God. And the people encouraged him back and said the exact same words that Moses told them back in Deuteronomy. But be ye strong and of a good courage. God prepared Joshua in a good way because he had a generation that actually wanted to see God do something. Because in the 40-year wandering, I don't know about you guys, but if I was punished for something and I was punished for 40 years, I'd be pretty scared of God and I'd be talking all about him. And even though I wouldn't be welcomed 
into the promised land, my kids would be able to walk in knowing who the God they, whose God they serve. We, they serve the God, the God of everything, the God of all, the God who destroyed Egypt. If we fast forward a little bit further into this, Joshua makes a covenant with the people and says, remember this, he leaves a landmarker for him. When you see this, remember the decision you made this day. And verse 31, And Israel served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders that overlived Joshua, and which had known all the works of the Lord that he had done for Israel. If you turn your Bibles to Judges chapter 2, Heard a little bit about Joshua and how God prepared him. Let's see how the hearts of man prepared themselves. <clears throat> if you look in the beginning of Judges, it kind of it leaves off where Joshua left off. The people are trying to seek the Lord to find how we're going to how we're going to take the land, how we're going to listen to God, how we're going to do this, how we're going to do that, and they sought the Lord as much as they could until this point. Judges chapter 2, verse 6. And when Joshua had let the people go, and the children of Israel, when every man unto his inheritance to possess it, and the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua, and all the days of the elders that, over, that outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great works of the Lord which he had done, And Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, being a hundred and ten years old, and, being and they buried him in the border of his inheritance. However you want to pronounce that word, I'm not going to try to say that. <laughs> in the mountain of Ephraim, the north side of the hill of Gaash. And also, all that generation were gathered together unto their fathers, meaning they all passed. And there arose another generation after them, which knew not the Lord, nor yet the works which he had done for Israel. And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, and served Balaam, and forsook the Lord God of their fathers, which brought them out of the land of Egypt, and followed other gods, of the gods of the people that were around about them, and bowed themselves unto them, and provoked the Lord to anger. I don't know if you guys have picked up something I really like to try, I'm really trying to emphasize in this. But there's a big contrast that's taking place at this moment. That you read further into the New Testament, God says everything that's placed into the Bible is there for a reason. It's there for our learning. Specifically, when it refers to the children of Israel and the acts that they did, that's recorded in the Bible that we, that all of us can learn something specific that we don't have to repeat what took place. And right now, we're in such a perilous time 
because we're getting ready to start a judge's generation because there's something that America has lost. They, we no longer know the works of the Lord and the things he's done for us in the past. I'm just as guilty. Everybody is. If you look it up today, I checked it out not that long ago, about three days ago, the number one most persecuted religion in the world is Christianity. And as I was researching it, I noticed on YouTube that there is an uprise in debunking Christianity. That there are people that have dedicated their entire lives to trying to tear apart the very life, the very God which we serve, which is so true. And I don't know about you guys, but it kind of encourages me in a sense. Because that means we're actually serving something that's real. Nobody's ever attacked something so desperately if there wasn't some kind of power behind it. Why do people attack freedom? Why did, why did the fascists want to conquer the world? Because they didn't like freedom. They didn't like what it stood for. They knew that there was some kind of power behind it, that people would rally themselves, and people were giving their lives by numbers. 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 We look back into World War II, the men who stormed the beaches of Normandy and Iwo Jima. They stormed those beaches because they knew they, were needed, they needed to stop that power. And as soon as those boats hit the beaches and that gate dropped, everybody who was standing up front were torn apart because of any machine gun fire. So many men before the boats would hit the beach, they would jump over the edge and pray that to God that they would get there close enough so they'd be able to land supporting fire for the men who are still coming on those boats. If there's any time for such a time as this that God's put us on this earth, this is a time that Christians need to rise. If Christianity is under assault, you know what? It's time to start telling Jesus. When persecution rose there's always been a revival that's broken out. Back in the early church in Acts, the church didn't spread until Herod started his persecution. And it spread across the known world to the point when Peter and his brothers were taken before the high priest. He said, these men are turning the world upside down. How are they doing this? And they're doing this in this man's Jesus, this man's name, this Jesus. How are we going to stop these men? And they weren't stopped. You want to know something? Because those men remembered the mighty works of God, which he did for them. James, the first martyr, I bet he died with a smile on his face. Because the disciples later said they were felt themselves counted worthy to be persecuted in the name of Jesus Christ. Just a side note to here to think about how many of us think of that now when you get a bad comment on Facebook because you shared something. When you go out and somebody chews you out for handing them a track. Well, at least we're not getting beaten, thrown in jail, and maybe not crucified or just slaughtered or beheaded. We're in such a time in the world that, I don't know if you, if you really have started looking at it, but the gospel has never been freer in the world than today. 
I didn't bring it up with me, but I've sat it there on the, on the pew there. But a lot of us have phones in our, po- our pockets. Have you ever tried witnessing to a telemarketer? I have, and he told me he'd see me in hell. You know, the gospel has never had such free reign as it has today. China, under persecution, China's underground church is growing beyond any number. We had a, was it, forget his name, the Mol, Brother Molnex, he came in. He talked about how it's just flourishing. They already know that they're there. But yet, God has his hand of protection over them telling, you know what, you're going out and doing something great for God. We look at this contrast and we think about it. There are people that had a stand and people who had faith. And the people who stood in their faith were the ones who changed the world. And to help the next generation to not fall, it is up to us to tell the previous generation. Every one of us has a story of something great God has done for us. Doesn't matter how large, how small, it could be the most insignificant thing you could ever think of. But yet, it made an impact in somebody's life. A friend of mine at college, he's a real penny pincher. <laughs> and he said back, you know what? I'm going to pray for quarters to wash my laundry. He started praying. I kid you not, he was down to $1 in quarters. And he went to his box, and he had about $20 worth of quarters sitting in his box. Still to this day, has no clue who put him in his box. He went, but he went in front of the chapel and gave a testimony about, you know, I prayed for this, and God gave me some quarters. It happened again. And it happened again. It impacted somebody's life so much, they, somebody made him a plaque. Doc talked about, we serve the same God, the same God of the quarters. The God that owns the thousand cattle upon the hills. <laughs> he shared that and some, it impacted somebody so much that he decided, you know what? I'm going to make this guy a plaque because he showed some faith in something. I showed a little bit of faith and with one hour, I had all the money I needed to go to Africa on. Within one hour. That's something small. Some things are big. But, you know, it doesn't matter how small it is. I prayed that God would send me money to buy a guitar, and within a week I had enough money to buy a full guitar set. If we stop talking about the mighty acts of God, which he's done now, how do we expect the next generation? A lot of us have teenagers sitting around us. A lot of us have grade school kids sitting around us. How do we expect them to know the God which we serve if we don't tell them the mighty acts that God has done? That's why Israel fell. That's why we have this entire book called Judges, because nobody wanted to talk about God anymore, especially to each other. God has a plan. God has a desire. God has something great he wants us to do. There are things worth fighting for in life. And the biggest thing I think right now that any of us could fight for is this next generation. Because if we want to see America turn, we need the next generation to rise up. Because I can already see in my generation, even in Bible college, there's nobody wanting to stand anymore. 
There's people that even at the smallest rule, that means absolutely nothing to them. They're basically turning their back on God because of that. The reason why they're doing that is because they didn't have somebody to tell them the mighty acts of God. Or or they weren't like Joshua and made the decision that, you know what, I saw the mighty act of God and I'm going to have faith in God. I think about sharing this testimony, but I feel like God's leading me to do it. There's a story about a young man. A lot of the guys who've been prayer breakfast already told him about this. This young man did not grow up in a Christian home. Well, half a Christian home, if you want to call it that. His mom was the only beacon of light that he ever had. She made the decision, as for me in my house, I will serve the Lord. She trained this young up as best as she could in the Bible, in the environment that he was in. Try to take him to church. But this is a sad part. His dad fell in love with the world. Got caught up in a very, very bad belief that made him basically change his, turn his back completely on church and didn't want to go to church anymore. Because if they didn't meet these standards, he didn't want to go to it. Try to indoctrinate this young man into these beliefs to the point he told this young man that all, the Bible says all women are servants to men and they have to listen to everything that you tell them to do. Talked with him about pornography, exposed him to pornography, exposed him to drinking before he was even the age of 13. This young man's life was a wreck. But he made a decision when he turned 13, when his parents came to him and said, you know, you could either serve God or serve yourself. This is the day you're going to choose. And that young man said, I'm going to serve God. He's been faithful to me this long. Why should I give up on him? He's led me this way. He's kept me going this way. Why should I give up on him now? Fast forward a few years, things really started getting bad. His dad was drenched in pornography. His dad was drinking. His mom gave up, said, I'm getting separated. And he asked this young man, you can either stay here with your dad or you can come with me. This young man, life was once again torn apart, thrown upside down, had absolutely no clue what he wanted to do now. But he just had this feeling, you know what, I need to, I need to go with my mom. That was the best decision this young man could have ever made in his life. He got involved in church for the first time in his life that he could ever remember actually being in a church family that loved him. This young man had people take him under his wing and train him what a real man of God was supposed to be. The pastors took this young man and trained this young man exactly who he needed to be, how he needed to act, how to actually live in the church, how to act like a Christian, how to live like a Christian. And one man became his father. Not by marriage, but by spiritual adoption. This man took him under his wing and enabled him to do things that he would never dreamed that he could do. <laughs> Gave him a job. This man knew his father before and already knew his dad wasn't a good man. 
But he thought, you know, I'm going to give this boy a try. I want to see if he's anything like his dad. And he found he's nothing like his dad. And because of this interaction with this man, this young man went to Bible college. Young man is studying to be in the ministry even to this day. And this young man is standing right in front of you. When I was 13, I made the decision, choose you this day whom ye will serve. Whether the gods of your father, which are trying to drag you down a pit of despair, which will absolutely destroy your life, just like it destroyed his life, or are you going to choose the God that your mother serves? The God that has brought you out of that. The God who changed her life, and the God who changes your life. We can't let this generation fall. We can't. There are people just like me out there suffering. I should have died multiple times. I was planning on joining the military, and I should have died there. But God got a hold of my heart my first year in Bible college. He said, you're going into the ministry. Best decision I ever made in my life. This young man got involved in a great church. He was given the privilege to preach in front of it. He was given a great church back home, given multiple times to be able to preach in front of those people. 25% of children in the world are fatherless. 85 to 95% of children in prison, youths in prison, did not have a father figure in their life. According to those odds, I should have been in prison. I should have just been an outcast. I should have just been left behind to rot in the dust. But yet, there's a God in heaven. (laughs) The same God that the young man David, a youth, stood up and he said, Is there not a cause? We are are the army of the living God. Is there not a man who will face this giant? Because my God is bigger than his God. My God's bigger than him. Nobody stood up and he said, I'm going to do it. If nobody else has the guts, I'm going to stand up and change somebody's life today. And he basically won the war for Israel. You have Paul, murderer of the church. Yet when Ananias took him underneath his wing and he was trained, he turned this world upside down. A bunch of fishermen turned the world upside down. You have D.L. Moody, who grew up in poverty, was at a shoe shop working, trying to make a living. And his Sunday school teacher decided, you know what? That man needs to be saved today. Stopped at the shoe shop and said, Dwight, if you die today, do you know where you're going? He goes, no. He was led to the Lord that day. He went to one of some of the worst places in America. I don't know how many of you guys have studied Dale Moody's life, but he went to a place in Chicago called the Sands. The cops didn't even want to go there. It was known as Little Hell. The streets were rampant with child gangs. He went in there and started a little Sunday school, started teaching these young boys about Jesus. He managed to get to the top gang leaders, and every one of those gang leaders said, Mr. Moody, ain't nobody going to touch you. We have your back because you actually had faith in us. Anyone know the defining difference, what made those boys turn 
to God was because D.L. Moody had a story and had a life that he could point back and say, these are the mighty acts of God. This is where I'm at now. How are you going to live for God? What are you going to do with Jesus? How are you going to live? God is an amazing God. And that God can change our lives in any stage of your life. No matter how old, no matter how young, if you make the decision today to make your house the house of God, it'll change your life forever. If you decide to try to change somebody's life forever, this is what my belief is. I want to be a world changer. Not to change the world as a corporate, but a world changer for individuals. Because if you focus on one person and how you can change that one person's world, that's the whole world to them. Because you just change their whole focus from the deep, dark, depressing, anything you could ever think of, and you just turn them to a God that loves them, that will show them everything that they would ever need, and put them in a place where they can be used and be loved by God and loved by people of God, to be around loving people of God. And that's what I believe Boiling Springs is. It's a church of loving people of God. Because you guys have loved me. Even though my life has been one of the most messed up lives that I've ever lived. (laughs) You can change your life today. Or you could change somebody else's today. By just making a decision, I'm going to tell the mighty acts of God, because this is where I started, and this is where God has.